you can glean a lot. I had a very close friend of mine ask me why I like this so much, why I study this, and why this is my passion. This goes back decades, and I've only shared this a couple times to maybe a couple people, okay? Uh, wasn't saved at the time. I was keeping a lot of growers in California, very, very busy at the time. I was drinking a lot. Uh, so, but at this specific time, I wasn't drinking and I wasn't under any extracurricular activities. I was at a church. I had two people sitting in front of me. One happened to be my, father, my brother-in-law and his wife and my wife sitting right next to me. This lady, and it was a, it was a Pentecostal, very charismatic church. Uh, lady stood up in the front. I'm not pointing at anyone in specific. We're facing the front. Lady stood up, turned around, and started talking. And I'm just casually said, oh, she's speaking in Hebrew. And if anyone's ever seen The Exorcist and where that, that head just kind of like turns around and looks, that was my brother-in-law looked at me. I'm like, I mean, I understood what she was saying. And I'm not prophesying. I'm not, no, trust me. If anyone knows me, that's not me. But something happened that day when this lady turned around and spoke directly to me. And... Uh, and uh, this is not a, if this is your visitor, we are not this crazy Pentecostal roll on the floor. Church. This is not happening. But that experience happened to me and spoke to my, my drug use, spoke to my alcohol abuse, spoke to my womanizing. And from that moment on, that started, and I knew it was speaking in Hebrew. Okay, that is my passion. And I didn't realize that God was planting a seed way back there. Okay, so forward, and that's, that was Back in 90, yeah, early 90s, okay? I had hair, a little bit of hair back then. But that started something in me, okay? And then on top of that, I want to get just a quick scenario. My wife, okay? I love my wife with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, okay? She's not here today. Uh, she's fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not crying because she's not here. But let's just say she's not. But let's just say she's like Scottish, okay? Or she's Irish. You pick ethnicity, okay? I love her with everything that I have. Everything that I have. But I can care less about the Scots or the Italians or whatever, okay? I don't really care about it. And this is just my thinking, okay? I'm not portraying this onto you guys. This is just my thinking, kind of explaining why I believe what I believe. And, and if I don't focus on the Scots, okay, quote unquote, or the Irish, and learn as much as I possibly can about that, they're not giving justice to my wife and understanding, because understanding things about her could relate back to her ethnicity. That's why my focus is so, Jesus was Jewish. It's not that he died on the cross, was and went into the tomb Jewish and came up a Christian. That ain't happening. He was a Jew. He is a Jew. He will always be Jewish. That is my passion, learning and studying the scripture through a first century Jewish mindset. I told my friend, uh, I gave him kind of a vague answer. That is why I love what I love. Okay? And I love my friend dearly. So, with that being said, today is a triumphal entry. Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into the town. I want to look at something, kind of set the backstory. There's miracles that only the Messiah can do. They're called messianic miracles. Okay? And the reason why, these are things that the Jewish people, uh, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and you know how I can diff tell the difference that the Pharisees uh, believe in a, a resurrection and the Sadducees don't? Because it looked, I mean, it's sad, you see, get it? Okay, that's how you can remember the two. But anyways, so they had to sit down and, and this is just, I'm kind of doing like a 30,000 feet overview of it. They had to determine what, when they see, saw the Messiah coming or something was, a uh, gentleman was brought up in, in uh, like, prominence or whatever. So they had these, these miracles that only the Messiah could. So when the Messiah did these, or when this individual did this miracle, they're like, hmm, 
Okay, so there's two different ways that the, the, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they would send out people. There's two stages. They'd go out and observe this individual, whether he was right or not, whether he was kooky uh, for Cocoa Puffs or he was like, hey, this guy might be something. So that was in the observation stage. Then after that, if they realize that there is something there, then they're like, hmm. So then they start asking questions, okay? Well, we know that Yeshua was drilled with questions. We know that, okay? And I'm going to go all the way up to not the resurrection, but the crucifixion. And Pastor Phil will finish the story next week. So, but you look at the miracles right here, healing of a leper. It's proven that they believe that you cannot be healed of leprosy according to Jewish thought. You cannot be healed of leprosy, okay? Only the Messiah could heal. The second one is casting out, casting out a mute spirit. The neat thing about that is how do you cast out a spirit? How, how are these people casting out? By name, okay? So if you're mute, how can you say your name? When Jesus says, when he talked to the, the, the demons, what is your name? What did he say? My name is Legion. Why? For we are many. He cast him out by name. If he can't say his name, dude, you're stuck with this person. Hope you guys are friends because you're stuck with them for life because you can't cast him out. So only the Messiah can cast out a mute spirit. Okay? So they look at that part. The next one is healing of man blind from birth. They believe if you're, it's a curse, only the Messiah, only Yeshua can do that. And the last one, and this is where I'm getting at right now, raising the dead man on the fourth day. They believe the spirit hovers around a dead person for three days, okay? The spirit is there. On the fourth day, I'm out of here, okay? Hasta la vista, that's the spirit. That's why Jesus waited till the fourth day. Because only the Messiah, only Yeshua, can heal a dead man on the fourth day. And that's where I'm looking at right now, okay? So we're kind of setting the backstory of this. And I think it's important because once he left, the last miracle is when he headed where? He was heading to Jerusalem, okay? And so we look at, so this is what happened Afterwards, so read with me. Uh, I've got to show this. I mean, I am very proud of my purple Bible, okay? I bet you no one here has a purple Bible. Just going to throw that out there. It's because the letters are really big and I can read it. So uh, anyway, so let's look at John. Oh, what happened? Hit the wrong button. Sorry about that. So uh, John 11, we're going to go 47 through 53. This is immediately following, immediately following the last messianic miracle. Okay, so we look at it. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? Okay, what's the question? What are we to do about what? They just realized that Jesus just performed the last messianic miracle. He raised Lazarus on the fourth day. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will be in him or will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away, excuse me, take away both our place and our nations. What is he saying? Or what are they saying? They're saying, they're going to take away my authority. They're going to take away my power. This guy's stepping on my, my territory, okay? Kind of like West High, East High kind of thing. So, uh, verse 49. But them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you, okay, that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did this not, <clears throat> he did this not say, or he did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nations. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one children, or gather into one children of God who were scattered abroad. Okay? So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So they saw that, I mean, not realizing that they prophesied that he's the Messiah. To me, that's just crazy that, and then from that day forward, 
they made plans to betray him. They made plans to do away with him because they were stepping on his toes. Because at that point, you had to make a choice. Either you're going to follow him as your Messiah or you're going to take care of him and get rid of him. Okay? They decided to get rid of him. So from that day forward, they made plans to get rid of him. So think about it. So then immediately after that, what did, after they were leaving and they were coming into, when I say they, I'm talking about the, uh, uh, Jesus and uh, his entourage, the disciples. So when they're coming in, so turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at 32 and 34. So, and they were, and this is immediately after they, that Jesus did the fourth messianic miracle and i'm sure he's they've already been the observation stage meaning the pharisees and all that have already sent people out to observe jesus find out what's going on because he's already been doing all these crazy things in their eyes things we know that he was just going about his father's business he was doing his thing so follow me with this again sorry mark 10 32 and 34 and they were on the road going up to jerusalem and jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. Saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, praise the Lord, he will rise. So even Jesus is telling exactly what's going to happen after that. And this isn't the only time. He also says, so turn with me again. So let's look at Luke thirteen thirty three. Again, Jesus is telling him he's going to die. Say, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So Jesus is prophesying that he's going to, going to die. So, amen. So we're looking at today the triumphal entry known as Palm Sunday. Okay, this is where Jesus had left the messianic miracle, left Bethany. Okay, the interesting thing is where did Jesus stay? Where did he lay his head? He laid his head in Bethany. Okay, words matter. Okay. Looking at this on Palm Sunday, or looking at uh, the Lamb, I want to give a quick little overview of uh, where he was from, where he was born, why it's significant, and why this, to me, this is the backstory that a lot of times people would just kind of gloss over. Even I did. I glossed over it. I'm not better than anyone else. Trust me on this, okay? Believe me, I lack in so many areas. Just ask my wife. Uh, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Bet, house, Lechem, bread, house of bread. What is Jesus? Jesus is the bread of life. Okay, where, that's where he was born. Very important. Where did he lay his head? Bethany, Bet, Ani, house of, what does Ani mean? Afflicted. I'll go into that in a second. But where did the high priest, where did all the Jewish people get their lambs? From Bethlehem. That's where they were raised, is in Bethlehem. So it's not a coincidence that Jesus is our Passover lamb, and he comes from Bethlehem. Okay, so on that day, the high priest and his entourage go to Bethlehem, grab the lamb, the temple lamb, that's supposed to be slaughtered for the nation of Israel on Passover. Okay, this is four days prior. This is on the fourth, I want to say Nisan? Fourth of Nisan, and gets it, or 10th of Nisan, sorry, 10th of Nisan, brings it back. And so what do they do? They observe it. So they bring it, and they bring it back to the temple. So they're coming into the eastern gate, okay? So they're, they've got the lamb. They've inspected it. <clears throat> uh, one-year-old male. I got a haircut yesterday. So as you can tell, um, it makes me more aerodynamic, so I talk really fast. So, and I'm also very passionate about this. So they go get a lamb, and to town. Of course, what happens? As soon as they come into the eastern gate, you see palm fronds laying down, big crowd there. They're all yelling. They're all cheering and stuff like that because the high priest. Well, guess who's right behind the high priest? Right behind the high priest is Jesus and his ensemble because they just got back from Bethany. They just got back 
from performing the last miracle, and they're coming into town. Why? To celebrate Passover. That's why they're coming in. So it's not a coincidence that Jesus is coming through the gate at the exact same time, okay? And there's multiple prophecies that are fulfilled. Just him coming through that gate, there's multiple prophecies that are fulfilled in the Old Testament. So, but the whole idea is when Jesus comes into town, I'm trying to make this, this is just like a teaser of my message before I get into it. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to finish it. But when Jesus comes into town, what happens? They start drilling him, okay? Asking him questions, asking him questions, uh, all sorts of questions. I don't have time to get into them all, but you can look at him. That he's, while he's in the temple, he's being drilled with questions. What are they doing? They're inspecting the Passover lamb. They're inspecting him to see if... Uh, there's, there's any flaws in, flaws in his, te- che- uh, his teaching. He is just drilling them constantly, and he's just like, yeah, well, here's the answer. Oh, yeah, here's the answer. They can't find any flaw in him. That's the same thing they do with the lamb. They inspect it for four days to see if there's what? Any blemishes, any flaws in that lamb, okay? So he is fulfilling. Why is Jesus the Passover lamb? Because John the Baptist said, Behold, the Passover, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Okay? Why can he declare who the Passover Lamb is? Who was his father? Okay? He has that gene. He has that bloodline in him, giving him the authority to declare who the Passover Lamb is. Praise to you, Okay. So you hear the story of what happens. This is the actual triumphal entry. This is actually Jesus coming into town. Okay, so uh, quick, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and, uh, and a colt with her, unite them, or untie them, sorry about that, uh, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. Excuse me. There it is. Sorry about that. Uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, on a foal of the beast of burden. Okay, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Excuse me. Uh, They brought the donkey and the colt and put, uh, and put put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks and they're uh, on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground or on the road, sorry. Uh, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he, excuse me, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10. And we had entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirring up saying, who is this? I would be too. I mean, all crazy stuff's going on. I'd be asking too. And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So they know. So he came through. So my question is, is why did he choose the Eastern Gate? So here's my question. Have you ever wondered why on this particular day at this very moment when Yeshua came to the Eastern Gate, the crowd was gathered there to meet him? Okay? Because it was tradition. Because the high priest just went and got the Passover lamb, and Jesus is following. Okay? Why? Because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Okay. So like I said earlier, what was the prophecies that were fulfilled? Okay? So turn with me. Uh, just look at the screen. Zechariah 9, 9, and verse 10. Okay? Uh, verse 9 was fulfilled when Jesus was riding on the colt into Jerusalem. Verse 10 is a future fulfillment. So verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having Yeshua is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. Okay? Why did I say Yeshua? What does salvation stand for? What is... Close. Okay? Yeshua means salvation. Okay? It totally changes the concept when you change that word. 
Okay, this is why it's so rich and it's just, it's fun, it's passionate for me. So that's verse nine. Humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow will, excuse me, shall be cut off and shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Okay, is his kingdom right now? No, this hasn't happened yet. This is futuristic, okay? This is yet to come to fulfill. So a couple of things I want to look at real fast is Hosanna, okay? Uh, I wish I would have got because Hosanna is like one of my favorite worship songs. Get me behind the drums on that song. Oh man, it's craziness, okay? I lose, I, I turn into an 80s rock drummer when I play that song. Um, anyway, so Hosanna, Hebrew, hashiatna, meaning please save, save now. That's what Hosanna means. And then when in Zechariah 9.9, humble, okay? In the Greek, it's the word praus. It means unassuming, uh, considerate, meek. The other thing I want to look at is the word humble means ani, meaning what? Poor and afflicted, okay? Where was Jesus from? Bethany, Bethany, okay? The house of the afflicted. Is that cool or what? Okay. Anyways, so when we look at this, at the words, the meaning of the words, Pastor John and I were talking, okay? Loves word studies, going back to the original language. Okay, what does it mean? We gloss over sometimes. I am so guilty. I'm not, please don't take this correct, take this how I mean it. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean that I, I study differently, better, blah, blah, blah. That's not what I'm saying. But when you're doing word studies and you actually go word for word and look at this thing, I think it just enriches our studies when we look at this, going back to the original language. So, and that, that is all I'm saying uh, at that. So we looked at a couple uh, different words. Why the Eastern Gate? Okay, why did Jesus choose to come through the eastern gate. Was it because it was from the road from Bethany that Yeshua stayed in and came in? Or is it to fulfill prophecy? Okay. Again, let's look back at Zechariah 44, verses 1 through 10. Okay. Then he brought, <clears throat> brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east. Okay. So we're talking about the eastern gate. And it was shut. Okay. Wait a second. Jesus just came through there. But it shut. And the Lord said to me, This gate shall remain shut. It shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by for it, or by it, sorry, uh, for the Lord, the God of Israel, wait for it, has entered by it. Therefore, it shall remain shut. Is it shut today? The Eastern Gate. Amen, it is. And what's on the outside of it? A Muslim cemetery. And I know Pastor Phil has said that. Do you think a few stupid little bricks and a Muslim cemetery and a few dead Muslims, and I'm not meaning disrespect, is going to stop our Messiah from coming through that gate? Absolutely not. Okay? Absolutely not. But it's fulfilling prophecy. Okay? That is my point. We're looking at it, and it's fulfilled prophecy. Excuse me. Okay, so two other things I want to look at really quick. I probably will not get through my message, but that is okay. Uh, the Jewish people were looking, they, they totally missed it. They were looking for, and they saw two different messiahs, okay? Messiah ben Joseph, the suffering messiah, Zechariah 9.9. And they were also looking for Messiah ben David, okay? The conquering messiah, Revelation 19, 11, <clears throat> excuse me, 11 through 16. Let's think about this for a second, okay? Let's think about the first one. Who is Jesus' Jesus's, Yeshua's earthly father, stepfather? Joseph, okay? That was his earthly father, Joseph, okay? So when you say, a lot of people say back to Joseph uh, in Egypt and stuff like that, second in charge of Egypt. A lot of people say that's what they're referring to, that kind of thing. I disagree, and it's just my opinion, okay? I'm just, my opinion, that uh, he, what, Joseph, that, the Joseph back in Egypt was not Yeshua's father, Okay? You cannot say Messiah Ben, meaning Messiah, son of Joseph, referring to that Joseph. But you can say it to Joseph, husband of Mary, stepfather of Yeshua. You can say he was Messiah Ben Joseph. So why didn't they see it? Okay? 
He was a stepfather fulfilling the Jewish expectation of the suffering Messiah. So he fulfilled that. Okay? When he came into town and he did what he did in Jerusalem and he died, okay, on the cross, resurrected, and now he's on, sitting on the right hand of the Father, he fulfilled that part of their expectation. Okay? He hasn't fulfilled the last part yet. Okay? Messiah been David? Oh no, just wait. When he comes back, and this is where a lot of us disagree, okay? We disagree. We all believe in the rapture. We all do, okay? We just disagree on the timing of it, okay? But no matter what, I don't care when, okay? But when he comes back and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, pardon my expression, but all hell's gonna break loose because they're gonna see Matthew 24. They're gonna see him coming in the clouds and they're gonna see him whom they have pierced, okay? And you're either gonna bow voluntarily or you're going to bow voluntary, involuntary or voluntary. Make sure I say it right, okay? I would rather bow voluntarily and recognize him as being my savior. He is the Jewish Messiah. If we don't have, if our best friend is not Jewish, we have no rights and inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let me say it again. If your best friend is not Jewish, then you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God because our Messiah is, was, will always be Jewish. And he better be our best friend because if he's not, we're not getting it. Okay. A few minutes left. This was my message. That was just an intro. So, uh, as you can tell, I get passionate about certain things. So anyways, we're going to look at Psalm 22, and I'm going to try to, try to squeeze this in uh, it all. So anyways, Psalm 22 is uh, about the suffering Messiah. It's a description of him on the cross. But I'm not going to stop while he's on the cross. I am not going to go any farther because I don't want to step on Pastor Phil's message and talking about the glorious resurrection of our Savior. Okay, But I want to look at what he did for us. If anyone's ever, I mean, Passion of the Christ, it's a great movie. Uh, I like it because I'm trying like, oh, I understand that word. When they're, they're speaking Hebrew, stuff like that, oh, I caught that word, okay? Like one in like 10. <laughs> so don't try to get me to inter- interpret it because I can't, but it's just, but you know the story, okay? Why? Because this is the story and we know the story. So you can watch the movie and follow along with it pretty easy. Uh, I literally watched it. I've watched the movie multiple times, but when he's being scourged, I've only watched it once. Because every time he was hit, that was me. I was the one doing it. And I can't watch it ever again. I'll watch the movie, but I will stop. I will not watch that ever again, that moment right there. Anyway, so let's get into Psalm 22. Okay, oh my God. Or, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, verse 2, Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Messiah's cry for help. This is the only account. Think about it for a second. This is the only account in the entire Gospels that Yeshua addresses God as my God, ever. It's the only time it ever happened, okay? He always addresses him as Father or my Father. But this is the only time he ever addresses, that Yeshua addresses God the Father as my God. Why is that? When you think about it, Jesus was experiencing a, he was in a judicial relationship at that moment with God, not a parental one, okay? There's a difference. When he's calling out my father, okay, that is a parental, that's Abba Father, that's a parental cry, a name. But right now, it's because every sin that you and I have ever done and ever will do and that's ever happened is being laid on him at that moment. So it's a judicial 
experience. That's why he cries out, and that's why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verses 3 through 5. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. Okay? In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cry, and they rescue. In you they trusted, and were not put to shame. Okay? Talking about God's past deliverance. Okay? He's delivered. Where are they right now? We had this fun discussion the other night on, on Wednesday night where like in between the crucifixion and the resurrection, that bus really cracks me up. Um, but where are they? They're in Sheol, okay? Abraham's bosom or they're in uh, torment. There's two different areas down there. Okay, when Jesus goes down there, and there's discussion. When it says, I can't come set the captives free, I believe he's talking about the captives that are down there. Not talking about the ones that are in torment. I'm talking about the ones that are in Abraham's bosom. Brought them back up. Because whatever decision we make here on earth is a decision we're stuck with. There is no second chance. Once you're dead, and whatever decision, that is stuck. You're done, period. So make it, choose wisely. Okay. So that was his past deliverance, okay? So let's look at uh, Psalm 6 through 8. I'm sorry, 22, 6 through 8. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people, okay? All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Excuse me. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him, okay? So this is a reference back to Matthew 27, 42, where uh, he's on the cross. He's like, well, you know what? Uh, He saved all these other people and rescued these other people. Why can't he save himself? It's a direct reference back to that, okay? Messiah also was very despised by the Jewish leaders. You think social media right now, what's going on right now can influence yeah, it can influence and change uh, viewpoints. It can change how you look at people and stuff. It's a tool. It can be a tool for good, but it also can be a tool for evil. So he was despised. You don't think the, Jew- the Jewish leaders there kind of helped turn the tide against them? Absolutely they did. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we're looking at 9 through 11 next. Oops, sorry. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you in my father's breast. <clears throat> Verse 10. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Can you imagine just saying that and having that kind of attitude towards our God? Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Yeshua put his trust in God. So should we. Shouldn't put our trust in anything other than the author and finisher of my purple Bible. That is where we should put our trust, is that. Verses 12 through 18, hopefully I'll get finished with this part right here. And and explains the suffering of what happened on him on the cross. Verses 12 and 13. Many bulls encompass me, 
bulls from Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lions. Jesus was surrounded by his enemies. I can't imagine being taken into the Roman, what's that called? The Praetorium? Did I say it right? And being surrounded by all his enemies. The only thing I can picture is if someone who's been in the military, uh, who we saw that a lot during uh, the Iraq war, where there were people were being captured and stuff like that. tortured just because you're an American or you have anything to do with America. You were being tortured. You were surrounded by their enemies. There's nothing you can do. You can cry out all you want, but there was nothing you can do, okay? But Yeshua came to save the world from what? From their sins. Because we were slaves to sin outside of Yeshua but now we're slaves to righteousness because we put our trust in Yeshua. But he was surrounded by his enemies. Verse 14, excuse me, 14 through 17. I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a pot shard and my tongue sticks to my jaws. They lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, and the company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I cannot, or I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. That's a depiction of his physical agony that he was going through. Some, some Jewish scholars, they refuse, like in Isaiah 53, and here they want to change the verbiage. Instead of pierce, they want to say a lion. They want to change it. They want to take away uh, everything that has to do with pointing to the Messiah. Anything that you can look at, it's like, oh, wow, that's talking about what Jesus did on the cross. No, we're going to take that away. So they're going to disregard that, which makes absolutely no sense when you read it in context. But this describes his personal uh, and his, the agony that he, w- uh, that he actually went through, which again, I can't imagine. I am poured out like water, emphasizes the excessive sweat, okay? I mean, it's like right now, it's, I don't know how hot it is. I was going to Google it really quick just, just because, see how hot it is in Jerusalem right now. I, I imagine it's getting pretty, pretty warm. Uh, they're in the desert, so it's pretty warm right now. Uh, so, of course, you're hanging up there. He's been hanging out on the cross for how long? Okay, so yeah, you're going to be sweating like crazy. So he's poured out like water. Okay, emphasizes again his ex- excessive sweat. All my bones are out of joint. Okay, so after a person is nailed to the cross while he's laying on the ground, okay, the cross is then raised up and dropped into a, a deep slot uh, into the ground. And that shock when he is on there. So imagine a hole in the ground. Everyone's like set fence posts before, right? Big long fence posts, you lift it up and it slides into a hole, right? Well, that motion right there, the weight of the cross and that person, you're being hung, you're not in the palms of your hands, it's physically not possible, it's through your wrists, and that action jerks, right? And of course, your shoulders are gonna, you can dislocate and stuff like that. That's what he's talking about, okay? My heart is like melted wax, okay? The Hebrew phrase means a ruptured heart. Melted like wax means a ruptured heart. And that's evidenced by the pouring out of the blood and water. We know that, okay? So again, looking back at the original language, it just kind of looks out like, wow. It just adds, it just adds to it. I, I can't find the right words, but it just adds to the idea looking at the original language. My strength is dried up, meant that his strength was just gone. Can you imagine hanging on the cross that long, trying to breathe, pushing up every time? Not just pushing on that little bar or that little plank of wood that your feet are resting on, but your feet are nailed too. So you're not pushing on that, you're pushing on those nails too. Every time you want to breathe, every time you want to breathe. That's excruciating. So of course, his strength is gone. 
My tongue cleaves to my jaw. This emphasizes that excessive thirst. Okay, and you know what the Romans did and all that with the thirst. And after being on the cross for six hours, I'd be pretty thirsty too. They pierce my hands and my feet. The word pierce, this is interesting. The word pierce here is not the same that was used in Zechariah 12.10 when they said, they looked upon him whom they have pierced. They mean the piercing on the side. That means to thrust. That's not like, like pierced earrings where you get a little pierced earring or something like that. That's what they're talking about here. They're not talking about that same piercing when that spear was thrust into his side. Two different words, okay? It sounds the same. They're using the same word in our Bible, but if you look at the original language, two different meanings of the word, okay? Consistent with the nailing of his feet. So it definitely explains the nails going through his feet, okay? I count my bones, Okay, you're hanging up there for how long? Your bones are probably protruding and stuff. So again, given this vivid description of what Jesus did while he was on the cross. Sorry. So verse 18, 22, Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And we know that. Okay, John 19 Verse 24, it's just the fulfillment of that. They cast lots. Why? They're not going to rip this thing. Because if I remember right, that it was all with one thread, right? There was no seam in it, okay? We all have seams in shirts and stuff like that. There was no seam. It was all sewn with one thread. Have you ever, and I thought about this, like, God, how can I, how can I illustrate this? In art class, I'm an artist. So in art class, you used to have to put your, take your pencil, pen, whatever, put it on the paper, and you could not lift it off. You had to put it on there, and you had to draw the picture. It had to be one continuous line, okay? And you had, you've seen that artwork before. There's a famous one. It's a book called Drawing from the Right Side of Your Brain. Anyways, but you, that's how you drew. And that's the image that I had is that. I'm thinking, how hard would that be just like drawing something silly? But this, they didn't want to ruin it. But again, it's fulfilling prophecy. 19 through 21, uh, and obviously, it's also fulfilled, Mark 15, 24, is fulfilling the, the whole idea of his garments, okay? So 19 through 21, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. You uh, owe you my help. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog, and verse 21, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the thorns of the wild oxen. He cries out one last time while he's hanging on the cross. Did you know throughout the entire day, they've been, the, the high priest at the temple, they've been, it's like a, uh, assembly line. High priest had the knife. You would bring up your lamb for your family, one family. If your family wasn't big enough that that could eat the entire lamb, right? Well, then it, you got one lamb for like, oh, your neighbor. Hey, I don't know you, but you're coming over for dinner because I have extra lamb. So you would buy this one lamb. So it was a production line. They would come up, they'd grab a high priest, boom, cut the throat, catch the blood, throw it on the altar, give the lamb back to the person next, and do the same thing, same thing. Do you realize, I think it was in the year 2000, or not 2000, sorry, in the year 65 AD, over 256,000 Lambs. I don't know how they got the number. I saw this and I can't figure out. 256,000 lambs were slit and, and, and uh, uh, thank you, on that day, okay? And this is going on all day from the, when the, the doors of the temple opened up and all day long. Let's move it down, move it, move it, move it, doing it. And then finally at three o'clock, what did the high priest do on that very last lamb? He sacrificed that lamb and he stopped and he says, it is finished. The high priest said that meaning no more sacrificial lambs are going to be done here in the temple, okay? It is finished. What did Jesus, what did our Yeshua, what did our Messiah say at that very moment hanging on the cross? He says, it is finished. And he gave up his ghost.
the rest of the chapter, uh, and I don't have it, we'll kind of end it right here. The rest of the chapter explains his exaltation. Can you pass or fast forward? I don't want to click through the whole thing. Let me see. Can you go to the slide where it says Psalm 22 teaches us? Thank you. So we look at Psalm 22. What does it teach us? It teaches that Messiah, Yeshua, uh, was in extreme agony. Messiah would cry out for God's help. We know that when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would be despised and rejected as an individual. In agony of death, Messiah would be stared at and he would be mocked. His bones would be pulled out of joint. The Messiah's heart would be ruptured. The Messiah would suffer an extreme degree of thirst. The Messiah's hands and feet would be pierced. Messiah's clothing would be divided by casting of lots. Can't imagine just grabbing some dice as someone's dying on the cross. Our Messiah rolling some dice. You'd see in some back alley in Vegas or something. At this point of death, the Messiah's trust would be in God the Father. It's where our trust needs to be. And then he'd be resurrected. That's what we celebrate next week. This is resurrection. Friday is good Friday. We see it as good. Do you want to close in prayer? This is something that is very, I don't usually get very emotional, but this is very emotional for me, that we serve an awesome God. Looking at what he did, what, what Yeshua did on the cross for you and me. And I want you to think about something really quick. If you were the only one, Jim, if you were the only one here on earth, Yeshua would do it for you. Julie, same thing. Lisa, same thing. That's the takeaway. I want you to know that he would do it for you if you were the only person. You're not too bad. I always thought I was. Hey, my drugs, my alcohol. But I'm not. He will do it for you. But we need to put... God wishes that none should perish, but all come to the knowledge and the salvation in Yeshua. Thank you. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for giving Pastor Pat the words to speak this morning. Father, by your Holy Spirit, use that message in each and of us. And Lord, as we come to the day where we celebrate your resurrection, our hope, when we come to that day, Lord God, I pray that you would keep upon our minds all day the events of Scripture that happened all the way up until that tomb was left empty. And Father, I pray that you would work in each and every one of us, Lord, to leave the troubles of the world behind, because there are many. And Pastor Pat and I were talking this morning. They're depressing. And sometimes we tend to focus on them, and sometimes the enemy uses that to bring us down. Let us cast those aside, knowing that our hope is not in what the outcome of this world is going to do, but our hope is in the risen Christ. It is the risen and resurrected Christ. Our hope is in the living Son of God. Our hope is in the salvation that he purchased for us. So as this week goes by, Lord God, let us leave the world behind. Let us place our hearts and our minds firmed, fixly, firmed, fixed firmly upon that hope. That in doing that, Lord, you would cause our faces to shine. That the world would see in the midst of this garbage, in the midst of the corruption and the sin, your people shine forth with hope. Shine forth with joy in a world where all that's going on and the joy 
is being robbed from so many and the happiness. Let us again fix our eyes upon him. Fix our eyes upon our risen Savior. Father, go with us this, mor- this morning as we leave, the, leave these doors. May we go out into this world and not just into the humdrum routine that we, we all do, that we may we leave here understanding that we are sons and daughters of, of God, that we are brothers and sisters and co-heirs of our Savior, Lord Jesus. And then each and every person here, like it says in James, was set aside as first fruits, that you have been selected. You have been chosen. And God has, God has drawn you out of this world for a singular purpose. So Lord God, let us go forth with that in mind, with the message of what you have done for us and the hope of your resurrection firmly fixed in our hearts, that this world may see it. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We exalt you and lift you up. Be glorified, Lord, in all that we say and do throughout the week. Receive all the glory from us, Lord, that we can give. And Father, we ask again, bring our pastor and his wife home safely. And Father, prepare our hearts as we come again for Resurrection Sunday that we come in joyful and glad because we celebrate the life you have given us because of, you, because of your resurrection. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we exalt you and we ask all these things. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you. Don't forget the Bible studies and have a blessed week.